This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufal, Stephen Maresca, and Matt Fusaro. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal. Joining me today, as always, Matt Fusaro and Steve Maresca. Hey, guys. Hey. 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 The one thing that we do have... I think in information, actually, that, that's not, that's a tough way to start it, right? Because we have a lot of things. But the information security community, I think, is one of the more unique communities that uh, works together, right? There's this concept of, in, in a way, the good guy and the bad guy. And I think we come together as a community regularly and really effectively uh, when there are times of crisis. And maybe crisis is a bit strong word because they're not always, you know, they're, they're not global crisis, but but you know, events that have maybe unknown uh, conclusions, you know, a lack of clarity on how you might want to deal with them. I think the community does a really good job rallying around. There's a lot of forums, a lot of mechanisms for communication. Um, kind of what I wanted to talk about today. You know, the, the, I think it's one of the things that keep information security as an industry strong, you know, it's attractive to new job applicants, right? They're, it's still hard to attract because there, there's probably some stressors in our, in our job, but in terms of it being you know, intellectually stimulating and uh, maybe an aspirational position, I think part of that is that sense of community that we build and foster uh, as a group, typically around some, some emerging or urgent situation, right? And what comes to mind for me is a, is a log for Jay. You may have other ideas, uh, but you know, something that drops causes an immediate sense of panic, and yet everybody rallies around trying to figure out how to collectively uh, reduce risk, uh, you know, really for, for peers that you don't even know. Um, you know, th- thoughts on that on that general topic? Do uh, you think I'm off base with the way I'm thinking about things? No, I mean, it, it's an interesting field because it's of its relative immaturity and its need to respond to things that are undeveloped that are undefined. Um, that inherently makes it a- appealing to people who are curious and adaptive and want to solve problems, right? Um, it may not be a problem. It may just be research, something that's interesting. Security folks work together really well across corporate boundaries, academic boundaries. That There really isn't much of a, you know, barrier to entry. If you can bring something to the table or an interesting viewpoint, you're welcome. And that's, I mean, it's fabulous, realistically. Some of the best stuff is freely shared. And it's it's a field where that's a necessity. There's no curricula that really captures all of the stuff that we need to do on a regular basis. So, you know, it, there are yeah. lots of aspects to that community development uh, that you're talking about. Crises? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes the only way that we can cope, and literally as a coping mechanism, is to work with our peers to analyze something on the fly as it's emerging as a problem. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, um, you know, critical vulnerabilities that come out, um, most of the time, you know, someone knows something about it, or you've got someone that's, you know, even worse, they didn't go through responsible disclosure and it gets put out there, either they push the GitHub or whatever the method is, it gets out, right? Um, people have to scramble to fix that, right? Because, you know, patches aren't being pushed out by a vendor yet. Uh, there, there isn't a known solution. So you're kind of relying on the community at this point to find some workarounds, uh, you know, either it's, you know, configure something differently or, hey, you know, I do have some code that will help this. Um, without that, 
we'd all be kind of trying to figure that out on our own and it just wouldn't work, right? Um, a lot of these channels for communication kind of came out of early development, right? Um, people working on the Linux kernel, uh, people working on their own independent software projects. A lot of that's, I mean, that's a lot of the reason why things like, you know, we're aging here, but things like IRC and all that, that's where a lot of this actually started. And, and, and persists today, yeah, and like in today. Discord and yeah. Slack and all of Forums, the equivalents. Yeah. Yep. That's where you end up finding a lot, a lot of these bugs that gets disclosed because of some anonymity, all perceived anonymity. Perceived anonymity, yeah. Right. But, <laughs> and sometimes people trip over things. Right. You know, responsible disclosure aside, that's a subject unto itself. You know, occasionally there's simply something disclosed that's so severe that the government of some um, nation needs to rush out an advisory because you know, it's affecting everyone at the very moment. There have been multiple examples of that in the last 10 years. You mentioned, one of you mentioned Log4J. Yep. It's, it's a really good example of that. Why is it an important example? Well, number one, there was no good vendor advisory. Number two, the actual flaw wasn't well understood. It wasn't necessarily characterized in a way that enabled people to even determine whether they were susceptible. There was a huge cloud of uncertainty, and it's our job to pick at that and try to find patterns to build tools and make it uh, a resolvable problem. The truth is, in the very early days of that particular example, there weren't any assessment tools whatsoever that could tell you where the problems exist or what systems were, were vulnerable. But I think that's the interesting part is yeah. you have your formal channels for the advisory piece, right? Your, your ISACs. Uh, uh, tell you that there's a problem. Your vendors tell you specifically there's a problem. A lot of time it doesn't come with clarity to your point around, all right, well, how does it affect you? Uh, how does it affect your implementation? You know, what's your path to risk reduction? Uh, and that's where oftentimes the community is typically ahead of uh, you know patches being formally released by, released by a vendor. Right. There's an enormous amount of tactical improvement that occurs simply in Twitter. Right. On Twitter. Yeah. Um, and it's really excellent stuff from people who are published, who work at Microsoft, who work at Google, who work at nationally known organizations, internationally known organizations. Uh, Print Nightmare was another good example. Some excellent, excellent material was solely found in Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, coping mechanisms. How do we deal with crisis and security? Frankly, you go to the places where people congregate. Maybe it's Reddit. Maybe it's Discord, maybe it's Slack, it's Twitter. Wherever people are discussing a problem in the very early days prior to it hitting popular press, that's where you'll find like-minded people with skills who might give you some tidbits to either, you know, close up a hole or improve likely outcomes. That that's our first stop almost all the time. So are you following people of note and, and some oh, yeah. of those forums oh, yeah. already yeah. or you can you go there at the time of an emergency and find what you're looking uh, for usually Both. you can find it yeah. yeah yeah you know there's some hashtag that gets dropped uh, like print nightmare log4j and you know something that's trending that. that's sufficient right yeah i mean i'm just thinking how do you know how do how do we tell people who might not be as embedded in some of these communities uh you know who, who all of a sudden find themselves with the, with the it, situation it's a really fair question um well, proactive steps up front would be a great idea. Always. Find somebody that you can attach through some popular press as being a security researcher 
who follows them on Twitter? Follow those people. Uh, who do they Don't follow? Don't overthink it. Yeah, it's really simple. That's enough to get you some secondary uh, recommendations and, and where to head. Yeah, and so, I mean, sometimes just following following the vendors that uh, you're using. Right. right? Because it, while they may not have anything published that's like a um, a fix or something like that on it, you may, you know, people will comment on it. You, there's a lot of times the security researchers will comment on their pages uh, or they'll just post, hey, we understand that there's a problem. We don't have a fix yet. Right. right. But at least you get the information. Yeah. Right. There's, there are much better channels than just going to the vendor website. Mm-hmm. Microsoft's <laughs> blog, technical yeah. blogs, fabulous a lot of the time. Usually. Yeah. yeah. Like the people who write there are the mm-hmm. people in the trenches or are those who are dealing with a, a security response of some kind. Yeah. Um, then after words get, you know, dressed up and made clear, they end up in a security advisory. But they start in that earlier phase somewhat closer to where the action is. Um, but, you know, it's easy enough to read if you're um, – Adept. What I always learning. found interesting is is how this works in cybersecurity because it, quite honestly, I'm, I have a hard time thinking of any other field where people act like this, right? Where there's a big problem and people come together in a community and try to fix it for everyone, not just for their own profit, right? Right. Um, yeah, the, the medical community kind of comes to mind a little bit. They do make an effort to do stuff like that, but again, you still have a lot of. Uh, people trying to protect their own IP mm-hmm. with that. Um, and while you do find that with, with security every now and then, it's, it's just less so. Yeah, well, I think that the spirit of open source, uh, yeah. right, and just sort of free release, free freely releasing software or, you know, information, it, it is pretty prevalent in our field, which, which is great. And it's one of the, I think it's really truly one of the unique things about information security, or maybe IT, because I think you know we're talking yeah, about this from, a, from an information security standpoint. But the IT community often comes together in that way. How much of an influence do you think it has potentially in, you know, say job satisfaction in the, in the field? You know, do, is it because I think we we have a we have a stressful we have a stressful role very often, uh, but it is one that has a sense of sort of community. I think it's community within a company you're working for. And then it clearly, as we just described, it's broader than that. Uh, you know, d- does that contribute in any way to sort of people maybe staying in the field longer, do you think? It, it, I don't know that I have an answer. I, I'm inclined to think so. Because, you know, for, for listeners who don't know, Matt and I have a fairly deep development background. And the only way we were there, despite, aside from education being somewhat helpful, is because of open source communities right. being inclusive, welcoming, supporting of new participants. It's kind of the the truth here. Um, you go to a, a decent security conference worth its salt, there will be tracks specifically for people who are trying to enter the field. Right. And you don't, as, a, as an individual, say you're in IT, um, you don't necessarily need to be a developer to have meaningful input or get meaningful information out of some of these areas that we're talking about. Simply knowing that there's something coming over the horizon that was not forecast or expected is is very helpful because you might give a week or a day or a few hours heads up to the people in your organization right. that can respond more effectively or your vendors for that matter. That's hugely important. So participating at that very simple way helps get your foot in the door. Then you can learn. Then you can maybe build some things and, you know, 
buoy the active uh, participation that everyone else is doing. Yeah, and and for sure, like like anything, right? As much as we want to talk about the fact that there is this robust community, and I think and I think that's accurate. You know, it's biased toward participation and people mm-hmm. who are who are active, you know, sort of gain reputation and you know, are sort of leaned on for advice or certainly sought after. Uh, and you know, newcomers, it, it is a little bit of effort, and so we certainly would would suggest anybody who's interested in in participating, you know, do it earlier. Uh, you know, early and often, I suppose, is the ideal. But, you know, it is it is always going to be a little bit more difficult at the time of crisis to jump into something and hope you get help. And give credit where due. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. For example, going back to Log4j, CISA, the, you know, the official CISA government GitHub repository has the Log4j scanner that they've put together and curated. The first org that, you know, built something particularly useful was fullhunt.io and... CISA based their code on theirs and many other practitioners as a, a, the end result. But they acknowledge, along with all the other people who you know, contributed code, fixed bugs, introduced new mechanisms for exploiting that vulnerability, that is a sort of social recognition that helps to keep people fueled when – in their home organization, they may not receive recognition that is right. specific. Yeah, I think that's very important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, if you were talking about job satisfaction, um, people are mobile these days. One way of increasing mobility is participating in these communities and developing some degree of, of not necessarily stature, but at least recognition that you're participating. That also matters. Yeah. I mean, it, in some way, I guess it's, you know, social clout. Uh, Right. But it, but it's an opportunity. You know, our field does offer opportunity to be sort of recognized academically in some ways without being you know, purely an academic profession, which I think is appealing for a lot of people. Um, I don't know. You know it, it, the topic's pretty straightforward. It's really just around uh, you know, how do you find job satisfaction? How do, you, how do you keep yourself sort of energized, mobilized? And sometimes it really does come in some ways in a field that is prone to you know, incidents and unexpected events through the community that's built around that, uh, which I think we're fortunate to be part of. Yeah, I think a lot of that was built because of the the shared pain, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We've been, yeah. a lot of us have been through the the incidents or issues where there is no fix. So we don't want other people to have to go through the same pains and right. try to build around that. Yeah, Security doesn't exist without community effort. That's the main message and it permeates the entirety of this conversation. It does. And it's funny you say that, I think about, some of the security awareness training we do. And we say the same thing, right? It, it starts from from users being part of a community all the way up through practitioners. Uh, I mean, that's what it's what it is. Uh, well, as always, yeah, I mean, it's, I think a straightforward topic, but uh, you know, one that's important and I think one that might actually uh, maybe in, you know entice people a bit into the field. So if you enjoyed this, uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, we're happy, of course, to continue the conversation. Just let us know. Uh, but as always, thanks for listening. We hope you got value. We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to get in touch at Vancord on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Vancord Security. And remember, stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been CyberSound. <laughs>